Thank you for listening to the Crossroads Sermons podcast. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.crossroadstw.org. All right. Well, hey, uh, good morning, everybody. Amen. I'm excited for this uh, new chapter. I'm excited for this new season. I'm excited for, um, first of all, the worship team did a phenomenal job. So thank you, Ryan, Rocky, Megan. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. I'm excited for, um, again, for many reasons. For those watching online, thank you. Uh, For joining us, we are grateful that you are tuning in and um, just, man, fellowshipping with us as best you can. And so thank you for that. And hopefully in the days ahead, we're trying to work on some things behind the scenes to connect with you and to make you feel more connected. Uh, this, is a, this is a real live reality within not just this church, but many churches just being disconnected. And so, uh, you know, I'm going to be very transparent this morning in front of the whole church body. Um, this past week, we had a really good time as a staff, and um, it was really good. It was a good time. We, uh, Pastor Josh mentioned it. But uh, Thursday... I actually rode around and I began to do life with them and I called a special meeting and we came together and what did I do? I said, hey, look, staff, here's what I want you to hear from me. Forgive me. I apologize. You say, pastor, why'd you apologize? I apologize for this reason. You ready? That if I can do it all over again, if I can do it all over again, I would have invested in them quicker so the word would be consistent and intentional. I would have done that. Now, what I want to say also is with this, as your pastor, know that I want to connect with you. God didn't call me here just to mess around and do other stuff. I long to connect with you. And as I know COVID has really disconnected us from relationships, but up with people, but also with the Lord. And so as as I'm in my study, and I'm going to talk about opening up my own prayer life and what I've been doing and what God has been showing me, but hear me say this. I long to connect with you and to feel connected with each and every person in this room. I mean that. But there needs to be some forgiveness and a little bit of grace. Just a little bit of grace. No one's perfect. I fall short. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. We just sang about it. Thank you, Lord. But I also want to say one thing, one last thing, and I'm going to dive into the text. We're not each other's enemy. Now, the enemy wants us to think that way. We have, we're all on the same team, and we have one enemy. And he wants us to be divided. He wants us to be at each other. He wants us to devour each other. He wants, this is what he wants. But I'm here to tell you this morning that he will not win. I believe God is divinely, providentially orchestrated this series literally for such a time as this. It's not by accident, not by rolling of dice, not me just under pressure and have to change the sermon memo. This has been done for a year and some change. So I'm excited for this. And what I want us to do as a church going forward for six weeks, unlimited minutes, unlimited access to a holy God, is to think about one word, and that word is posture. Posture. Posture is a loaded word. It means this to be at a position of humility, a position of transparency, a a position of um, brokenness, surrendered unto the Lord. That's really what the word posture means. And so as we journey for six weeks, hear me say this, saints, may this be the word that you're pondering is posture. 
How is God challenging you to posture your heart? Yes, we want to look at other people's heart, but what about your heart? How is he challenging you to posture? And so we're going to start this series today, and I'm excited again about this series. And what we're going to talk about this morning is the purpose of prayer. We'll look at how to pray. We'll look at other things, how to pray in waiting, how to pray for different deals. We're going to look at that going down the line. But this morning, specifically, we're going to talk about how, how, or what, excuse me, what's the purpose of us praying? Why do we even pray? Why even mess around with it? Why get on my knees? Why do I bow my, put my hands together? Why do I, why do you, why do we pray? I think it's going to be pretty alarming probably for some of us for the first time discovering what it really actually means. It's funny because prayer is, in the Christian life, it's the most important thing. Prayer in the Christian life. I'm talking about a person that has surrendered their life to Jesus. Now they walk with him as a disciple. Prayer in the Christian life is the most important thing. Yet, it is the most neglected. As we look at our church, as we look at our lives individually, it's the most neglected thing within our lives. And so I'm here to tell you my own personal life. I want to be transparent this morning. Sometimes when I go to the Lord, I actually, I go to him with a grocery list. Anybody with me? I go with a grocery list and I'm actually, I'm asking for stuff and I'm asking for this, I'm asking for this, and that's, that's fine and dandy. He does, he cares for our supplication. Yes, this is true. Or, or maybe we just think it's a gimmick. We can outmaneuver God. Maybe it's a, looking at God as a holy pinata. If I just hit him in the right place and, and do the right techniques, maybe he'll, pour out different things. Maybe some of us in the room, we look at them as a cosmic vending machine. We say, okay, if I uh, insert the right stuff per se, I can push the right buttons and God will give me exactly what, what I want. That's not the case, saints. But David, King David, is gonna help you and I this morning to really discover the purpose, the purpose of prayer. Now, this is a great text. <clears throat> I love this text. I, I, I mean, I, this is a text I've preached before in years past. This is a phenomenal passage. Now, we know that King David is not a perfect guy, but he's going to let us into something I think that's going to be transformational, but also very enlightening when it comes to you and I as we approach God's throne. You see, prayer, in essence, is really wanting more of God. Prayer at, it, at, its, at its end is wanting more of God. Before we want anything else, before we ask for anything else, yes, our needs are legitimate. Yes, we understand that. God knows that. He's omniscient. But before anything else, hear me say this, church. Doesn't matter how long you've been walking with the Lord. It doesn't matter how recent you are in the Lord. Prayer at its finest, the end result is this, that you desire more of God. Not really what I can get from his hand. Remember, cosmic venom machine or a, a holy pinata. It's not really what we can get from his hand. Really, the essence of prayer is, Lord, I just want to be in your presence. So King David, again, he's going to help us now. This boy, he's on the run. He's running for his life. He's in a very unfavorable circumstance. I mean, just life is chaotic. Some theologians will say uh, that um, his son Absalom is after him. By the way, his son had skilled army men. He wasn't like some, some rinky-dink little dudes running around with um, Absalom. He has some really skilled, trained sharpshooters with him. Chasing after his dad. Could have been Absalom. It could have been Saul, King Saul. Jealous, all this other stuff. Maybe he's wanting to, to take David out. Theologians really don't know, but we do know this, is that, hey, look, man, that he was on the run nonetheless. And he was in the wilderness. He was just, it was just him. 
running, on the run, and as we look over David's shoulder, if you will, as he journals this, he's going to let us into his heart. This is very unique. He lets us into what God was doing in his heart and what it means to actually pray, the actual purpose. You ready for this? Psalm 63, 1 through 8, it reads, Oh God, you are my God, he says. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. We've all heard that, right? That's a great one. My lips will praise you. Verse 4 says, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, that's crucial, in your name I will lift up my hands, not in anything else. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. Verse 8 says this, my soul, the immaterial part of who I am, David is saying, the part that you see, the part that you're sending your son to redeem and to save, the part that no one can see, but the part that, that holds and houses, if you will, hurts, hiccups, and pains, and bruise. He said, my soul, it clings, it clings to you, but your right hand upholds me. So out of the gate, he lets us know. Verse one is the key shifter in this whole song. For you and I to approach prayer properly, for you and I to really understand what prayer really means, the purpose behind prayer. First thought is this, if you don't take it, write this down. Prayer is, it's a holy thirst. All it is, it's a holy thirst. It's a, it's a thirst after him. Look at verse one. He says, oh God, comma. In other words, he's saying, God, it's all about you and it's not about me, for starters. Oh God, let, let the focus be on you. Let the focus be off of everything else. Let the focus be vertically aligned, if you will. Oh God, pause. It's all about you. You're the creator, and I'm just a created individual, but oh God, pause there. But then he goes on to say, you are my, he says, you are my God. It's personal. In order for you and I to have or really to understand what prayer really is. And then other, in, in other words, in other words, I have um, a, a fervent prayer. We need to know that God is actually yours and that you are his. I mean, prayer is really a, re a relationship. It's a, it's a matter of conversation back and forth between one, one person and another. And so David says, in the midst of this wilderness, I don't have much to lean on, but I do have the one who holds everything together. And at the end of the day, that's all I need. He says, oh God, comma, it's about you. Let me just put everything else to the side. You are my God. And he says, earnestly, I seek you. In other words, he's saying diligently or intensely or in hot pursuit. So what is the definition of prayer? You say, I love to hear that. Here's a working definition. The most basic definition of prayer is talking to God. It's just talking to God, saints. It's talking it's talking to the Lord. It is the communication of the human soul. Remember, I mentioned a little while ago, the human soul with the Lord who created the soul. It's this dialogue between the creator of the soul and the soul speaking back to his creator. It's just communion, if you will. It's deep. It's deeper than just reciting words. It's deeper than just um, quoting certain um, uh, 
sentimental statements. It's actually, it's deeper. It's at the soul level. And we're going to see this in a little while. Prayer is the primary way for the believer in Jesus Christ to communicate his or her emotions and desires with God and with fellowship with him. So David says, my, my soul, it literally thirsts. It thirsts for you. It thirsts for you. It thirsts. I don't know about you guys, but there's been some seasons in my life when I'm just, I, I don't want anything else. Has anybody ever been there like just nothing else? I don't want anything. I just want Jesus. Anybody? I just want Jesus. I want more of him. I want to spend time in his presence. I don't want any more religion. I don't want any more activities. I don't want any. I just want to be in his presence. And this is what David is saying. En route to being in the wilderness, this boy goes from a, a wilderness experience to a worship experience. He goes from pain to praise. He goes, look, here's the deal. In the midst of everything I'm going to, I have a holy thirst, holy in the sense of pure. I'm coming at it by the right means and in the right way. It's a thirst. It's a desire. So I put the two together. God is all about you. So therefore, this holy thirst, it causes my soul to long for its creator. Nothing else in this world is going to matter. Nothing else in this world will, will satisfy. And he's going to actually begin to articulate that later down the line. But he's saying, I can't, I don't want anything else. I don't want a new car. I don't want a new house. I don't want anything else. He's saying, back in the day, he wouldn't have, he wouldn't ask for that back in the day, been a chariot or something like that. But Nothing else for us today, nothing else, he says, nothing else, nothing else. My soul, it thirsts for you. It thirsts for you. This is crazy. Why? Because as I was thinking about this, like thirsting, longing, how to put this in a word picture, longing. I mean, my kids sometimes when we go shopping or whatever, we, you know, you know, got three girls running around and you say, where they at? Y'all stay together. Here's normally the, here's normally what we say before we go in the store. Hey, good. stay with us. Nobody running around. Nobody doing anything crazy. Stay right here. And lo and behold, we get in the store and then somebody's missing. You know what I'm talking about? In the department, here's what I'm talking about, online. But, you know, you have the clothes racks, right? You have the clothes racks, and so what happened? One of them just slide up in the clothes rack. You see the clothes kind of jiggling and all this stuff. But you're like, man, where, 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 where's, uh, where did someone go? Where did, where did someone go in? And they jumped out, ta-da. I'm like, oh, girl, you're a girl? But that's just in the department store. What? Let's magnify it a little bit. Let's think about what about in a grocery store? Or what about at an amusement park like Disney World or somewhere like that? I'm talking about being lost. Some of the parents in the room, you know what that's like. For some of us, we were the ones that were lost, right? And so we remember that feeling. It's that longing. So the kid in great desperation and the parent in a great longing to see the face of their kid again, the kid is like looking around, looking at, uh, looking at every person seeing, maybe in the backside of somebody saying, that look like dad, or, uh, actually that's not them, but there's this deep longing inside of them to be back with their parents. And this is what David is saying in a sense, that just as a little kid longs to be back in communion with their parents, just as if a kid is saying, I wanna be back in the fellowship of, with my parents and with my family. This is what the Lord is saying to us today through Psalm 63. You and I, if we want to longer have a soul thirst for the Lord, the longing has to be just like that. I got to be back with God. I want to put everything aside. I have to be back with him. Back to the basics. Well, there's some hindrances though. We can't just say this is going to be fine and dandy. And let me just say this real quick. As we pursue this six weeks, God gets the victory, but the enemy is going to be working. He's going to be working. We just got to get ready. We don't fight with carnal weaponry, saints. We, we can't fight 
This spiritual battle with carnal weaponry, we just can't go at it. Matter of fact, the Lord has already prepared us with that. We do it through prayer and we put on the spiritual armor. But here's some hindrances. You ready? For you and I, sometimes I've thought about this too. Man, well, you know, um, I don't think it's that important talking about prayer. I mean, if I really pray, Lord, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is that really going to change this real scenario that I'm in? So some of us, we just think it's just not important. What about this? We just don't have time. Anybody ever said that? I just don't have time. One of my mentors told me this, Marcus, if if Jesus is not in your calendar, or excuse me, if he's not in your schedule, you don't have a schedule. You just don't have a schedule. So for you, maybe it's you, you're saying, I just don't have time. I don't know when I get time. You got to find, we're going to have a time and a spot in just a little bit towards the end of the service. What about this one? I don't know how to pray. I just don't know how to pray. I've heard that over and over again. What about having an attitude of doubt as we approach prayer? We just go, ah, well, you know, I'm going to pray, but I just think, I don't know if God's really going to come through. I don't know if God really can hear me. Um, I know how messed up I am. And so I know God sees that. So this is kind of the shame and guilt deal. Let me tell you something. The blood of Jesus Christ wipes away guilt, wipes away shame. Jesus doesn't condemn us. That's what the enemy wants to do. Jesus will convict us and the spirit of God will convict us so that we can have a same attitude and posture like David and saying this, my soul longs for you. I want to push everything aside and just be caught up in your presence again afresh. It's an attitude of not having doubt. What about self-righteousness? Really, I just, I got this. Anybody ever said that? Come on, y'all. Don't, I don't want to be the only one. It's funny, maybe like this, right? I got this. Self-righteousness, I got this. No, we do not. Maturity starts as we break the cycle of seeking God only during hardships. But holiness begins the moment that we seek God just for himself. We will mature, but that holiness, that, that what we're really longing for, that happens when you and I, we're just seeking prayer in the sense of going, Lord, I just want to be with you. There's two things we got to realize because David helps us. He said, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. In other words, he knows his shortcomings. He realizes that he's broken in need of a holy savior, a good God, a good father. He realizes that he's the one with all the baggage and all the drama. He realizes is that, hey, look, what I bring to the table is junk. What God brings to the table is holiness and forgiveness. He realizes this. He says, man, look, my soul, it longs, it thirsts for you like the longing of a kid being back with their parents. But not only that, my flesh, it faints for you. He realizes his limitations. There's two things at church as we go forward in the six weeks that we have to know. Two things and two things only. You ready? It's this. Knowing the heart of God, that God is good, but also knowing our own heart. Now, here's the the catch on that because as I'm journeying through Jeremiah, I told the staff this, Jeremiah 17, uh, then some other chapters. Man, I was in Jeremiah chapter 20, and I'm just going, Lord, this this is like dismal. Has anybody ever walked through Jeremiah? In your quiet time, it's not very uplifting, okay? Let me just tell you that. You know, y'all heard me say this, those online, forgive me, but I don't even know if it's, I'm not even going to recommend it for quiet time, you know what I mean? Man, it's, it's pretty, it's brutal. It is brutal. But it's still God's word, it's still saturated with the spirit of God. God still can speak through his word. And so as I'm beginning the journey, as I'm walking through this, God is pointing out my shortcomings and my, my hiccups and my hangups and said, Marcus, don't look at everybody else. Look at yourself. And he's been able to reveal things to me this past week, and I'm so grateful for it. When I mean it hurt, it hurt. 
But when you're low, that's the best place to be. Because God will lift you up. Well, he says, man, look, my flesh, it faints for you. I realize that I'm broken. I need you. David says, look, man, there's, there's one thing there's one thing that I know is that I bring the pain, I bring the hiccups, I bring the anguish. I'm in the uncertainty, but if you notice one thing, this is very interesting about this psalm. You ready? David doesn't ask for one prayer request. So this is why this is the perfect text for the purpose of prayer. You ready for this? He doesn't say, man, my soul, thir- you know, Lord, I earnestly seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints. Lord, will you please come through and bless me? Will you come through and get rid of all of my enemies? Will you come through and do this? Will you, ba 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 He just really, he just focuses on God. And then what happens is, with a healthy view of who God is, it begins to penetrate and saturate and seize his heart to where it brings him from wilderness to worship. Because he's focusing on the Lord. And so it's funny because... He realizes his frailties, and I told the staff this, Exodus um, uh, chapter 4 and verse 5, God calls Moses. He said, Moses, come here, burning bush. And my, I don't know about y'all, but if, if God called, if I saw a bush not burning and talking, I'm running. I don't know about y'all. I'm, just, I'm a realist. I'm, I'm, I'm out of there, right? Moses, Moses, come here. Moses comes close. Verse 5 says, in Exodus 4, says, stop. The Lord challenges him. He said, look, take off your sandals for you're walking on holy ground. Now, why? Like, God, first of all, you're talking. Can you have some sympathy? Like, I'm, I'm already going crazy, the fact that a bush is talking to me, right? And uh, it's not being consumed. Now you're going to tell me to take off my shoes and all this other stuff. What else, Lord? What else? Have you ever been there? What else? I've been there. But I wonder if Lord, the Lord was saying this, that in the midst of our frailties, in the midst of what we bring to the table, we always bring brokenness in a faulty perspective. We, we come with a bent agenda. I wonder if, I wonder if God is saying, son, take off these sandals. Why? Because I don't want anything to come in between you and me. The ground that you're on is so holy. In this six weeks, church, hear me say this. Those watching online, this is going to be some serious holy ground. And God is asking, not only do you posture and think about how you ought to present yourself in a way that is honoring to God. Don't worry about nobody else. What about you? But then secondly, maybe we need to take off some different things in our lives so that we can walk on holy ground and experience a holy God afresh. Well... Our flesh struggles to, to pray in alignment with the truth of God's glory. This is a text about God's glory. It's God's glory. Our prayer lists can easily become so saturated with our own desires for ease, comfort, convenience, and accomplishments. And then the goal, the ultimate goal of prayer, in other words, the goal of God's glory becomes obscured. So in the midst of this, as we, if we, we struggle with this naturally, but the ultimate goal is actually God being glorified. That can be obscured when we, when we come in the wrong manner. Well, it's amazing because he says, my holy recognition is next. He says, I have a holy thirst, but now I have a holy recognition. All this stuff, just this longing, like I just, I can't live without you. Our church right now, we're in a place of dependency. And in dependency, we'll obviously depend on the Lord, see his face, we'll experience healing, We'll begin to experience new things, see new things happen. I mean, we have baptisms coming up. That's great. That, we are excited about that. But the healing is important for us to move forward. But it's a holy recognition. 
Look at verse 2. He says, so I looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. He says, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. He said, that's it. Like, I remember how good you are. I looked. In other words, I acknowledge. I, I behold or I beheld. I've seen it happen. He's saying, look, I know that you are able to do what you say you can do. I trust your heart and I believe that you can do exceedingly abundantly above all that I can ask, think, or dream, or imagine, Rick. I really believe that you have the power if you raise Christ from the dead and that power is at work within every single blood-bought believer. I also believe that that same resurrection power can change the trajectory of a church, of an individual, of a marriage. It doesn't matter. It can change everything. Let me tell you this real quick. I love this little word here. You ready? God can do more in six weeks than we can do in 60 years. God can do more in one moment than we can do in our whole lifetime. And so what God is asking you and I is this. Here's the deal. Holy recognition. God, you're able to do it. Do you really believe, church, that God can do the unexplainable? He's ready. He's saying, posture yourself, and we will begin to experience and see some new, fresh, fresh things. And in other words, I wonder what David was thinking. Like, I remember when I was in my sheepfold and I saw the bear creeping. I just, I'm just trying to think about, but Dave, what, what, what was going on in your mind when you're writing this? He's like, man, look, I was in the sheep, and he was a scroungy little guy, ruddy, the Bible says. But he was able to take out a bear. Anybody in here able to take out a bear with your bare hands? Brothers? Um, ladies? Um, but then a lion showed up on the scene, too, one day. He's tending the sheep. Right? Pretty little sheep. Lion rolls up, God gives him the power and delivers him. So David is really just remembering, he's recalling. You see, the enemy wants us, he's not going to tempt you to doubt God's existence. What he will get you to do is doubt God's goodness and to forget God's goodness and to forget the fact that God has done extraordinary things in our life. What happens, you and I, we get so holy, we become so distant from the Lord that we begin in our mental Rolodex, we forget what God has done. And we look at his track record and say, God, you don't miss a beat, you don't skip, you don't mess up, nothing falters with you, you are perfect, you are holy, you are sovereign, you are in complete control, you are the boss. And as a result of that, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I believe this, the same God that raised Christ from the dead is the same God that's ready to work in the life of the church today and in my life. This is the same God, guys. This is the same God. Stay with me here. He says, I see the power and the glory. In other words, I see that, that power that spoke everything into existence, but also that weight of God's glory. What would happen if the weight of God's glory fell on this place? Like we wouldn't be able to explain it up top. We wouldn't be able to explain it. And that's a good thing, by the way. We shouldn't be able to explain it. It has to be by and from and from the Lord. Well, prayer is the way we experience a powerful confidence in him. It is, and that God is handling our lives well. He's handling your life well. Mark 7, 37, God does all things well. He's handling your life well, my life well, that our bad things will turn out for good, that our good things cannot be taken from us, and even yet the best is yet to come. But he says, your steadfast love, Lord, that's my holy recognition. I remember, I recall, your track record is impeccable, but also your steadfast love. It keeps pursuing me. Even in this wilderness, I just remember, God, you, you still love me. You remember I said it's important that he says, in your name? David is saying, I'm a, I'm a man after your own heart, and he realizes that God, Elohim, 
or Yahweh means covenant-keeping God or the hesed, the, 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 um, the covenant God, not the, con- the contract God. In other words, he's saying, you're the God that's always faithful. You never leave, you know, forsake us. You're always with me. You're always with every single person. He's saying, look, because of that steadfast love, I'm not going to ask for anything. I just want to sit and bask in your presence and say, Lord, you're holy. You're holy. Church, I'm just going to be honest. When was the last time you prayed and, and in your prayer you didn't ask for one thing, but only to have more communion with the Lord? He's telling us this. He said, man, it's possible. And David said, man, hey, look, man, this is what it is. This is what it looks like. It's just seeking him, like Matthew 6.33, seeking him. He says, all these other things will be added unto you, Matthew 6.33. But here's the deal. When you and I are so caught up and wrapped up with the Lord, all the other things, it's amazing. When we seek his face, we'll start forgetting we won't be focusing on the hand only. So in other words, we won't seek the Lord for his hand. In other words, what he can do from us or what we can get for, from him. Maybe, just maybe today, some of us in the room, we actually have to start seeking his face again afresh. We approach him like, look, we know he can do it. Anybody in the room know he can do it? Like he can do it. So, but the point is, he wants us to seek him, 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 him. It's funny because back in the day, I used to um, come home from different places and, and uh, I'll bring goodies back from different places for my kids. I didn't share with the first hour. Y'all get a little different sermon. And so um, I come back with gifts. And then one day I walked through the door and they wasn't even happy to see me. I was like, I made it. The plane landed. I'm on ground. It didn't, you know, thank the Lord. It was turbulence. Plane was flying this way and all this stuff. I made it. I'm home. I walked through the door. Hello. Hi. I see you. Hello. What'd you get us? Isn't that how we treat the Lord? Isn't that how we treat him? Like real, real talk. Isn't that how we really treat him? Deep down. Remember he said his soul. I'm not talking about just his exterior um, surface Christianity. He says, how, how do we really approach prayer? The purpose of prayer is for you and I to say, Lord, I want you. I don't care really what you can give me because I know you can do it, but I just want you. Then he says, I have a holy disposition. Now, based off of my recognition of how holy you are and how good you are, that you're a good, good father, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, this holy disposition, in other words, look at verse 4. He says this, so I will bless you as long as I live. He's making a declaration. Like, he's like my new outlook now is this, that I'm going to bless you as long as I live. There it is. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. In other words, he's saying, like I was a king living in luxurious wealth with all of these fine things you know, around me. He's saying, I don't have those, but it's as if I do. My soul will be satisfied like such. And my mouth will, be, will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and, the, and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. Notice this. Now, again, he's not... He's like, look, this is, he just telling the Lord, for you have been my help. He didn't say, Lord, be my help. He's realizing that the Lord has always been his help and the Lord will always continue to be his help. And that's a word for us today. And he says this, and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. It's amazing. It's amazing. Verse eight says, my soul clings to you. Your right hand holds, it upholds me. Old songs should say, can't. Nobody, I don't think David was singing this. He was a worship leader. 
Do me like Jesus, can't nobody. Do me like the Lord, can't nobody. Think about this, in the watches of the night, when your pillow is your best friend. Do me like Jesus, he's my friend. I'm going to sing it again. Can't nobody do me like Jesus. Can't nobody do me like the Lord. Can't nobody do me like Jesus. Why? He's my friend. I'm going to tell you something. He wants to be the same friend to you. People will let you down. People will talk about you. They'll turn their back on you. Circumstances change. Trials come and go. David says, you know what? Regardless of what happens, you got me. He says, in your name, I will lift up my hands. He said, my soul will be satisfied. So the person who seeks after the Lord is or has inner sanctification. In other words, they have this inner Perpetual cleaning. Okay, the person who seeks after the Lord. It should be a perpetual cleaning. Verse 5, he says, I'm singing, I'm praising. Why? I'm not singing because everything's dandy. I'm singing because, God, you're good and you're cleaning me out. You're perfecting me. You're refining me. He's refining us. The person who seeks after the Lord will have inner joy. Just, you know, can't explain it, man. I'm just, I'm happy, I'm joyful, and whatever. I'm just, okay. The person who seeks after the Lord, that's verse 5b, the person who seeks after the Lord will have inner strength, 7 and 8. The fundamental difference between our prayer list, us, and today, today's church, and the prayer, prayers of the people in the Bible is this. We pray more so for personal, personal problems, while most of the biblical prayers that were prayed focused on Christ, his purpose. His purpose going forward. So church, here's what we want to do. We have to have a holy thirst again. We have to really want him. Not religion, not just being around church and being churchy. I'm not talking about that. But really wanting him. He created you. He knows you. Um, he knows us. He, he knew that this season would happen. He's not taken by surprise by any means. Whatever you're journeying through right now as a family, as an individual, he, he knows all of this. He's sovereign. But I love what David said. He said, your steadfast love is still is better than life. The fact that your love, it pursues me. His love wants to breathe and pursue us right now. It does. But we, gotta, we have to have a holy thirst. We have to remember and have a new holy disposition. A new holy disposition. So here's what we're going to do, church. We're going to pause right now. Band's going to come up. We're going to pause. We're just going to pause. Just going to pause. Be still before the Lord. We're going to posture ourselves. We have a place right now. This place is this sanctuary. We're in this place together right now, this moment. This is special. And then we're just going to present. Not present our request, just present ourselves. Here, here's me. Here's my marriage. Here's 
I'm not even like, I know my spouse, they tow up, but they need help. I'm not, we ain't even talking about that. We're just talking about like present yourself. Amen. Present you. Because if you present you, maybe other things will change. We're not worried about presenting other people. Present yourself. And so in this moment, we're going to pause, church. Ah, crossroads. We're going to pause. We're going to posture. We have the place. We're going to present ourselves. Until we get to the point where we say nothing else matters. Nothing else will do. Those online, you hearing me? Nothing else. A holy, hot pursuit after God, afresh again. You see, the danger of the Christian life is this. We can get good at just doing it without the Lord. I just wonder if that has been some of the case with some of us here. We got to get back to the main thing, saying, God, a holy, hot pursuit. This is all for you. It's all because of you. And in the end, it's all going to be about you. So what we want to do is do this. Just humble ourselves. This could be a moving moment. I think all of us, we ought to be moving in the room after I'm done praying. I'm going to invite you to come to the altar. I'm going to invite you to bring somebody. I'm going to invite uh, you to kneel at your seat if you're able. I'm going to invite men. Fill the, fill the, the, um, the aisles, if you will. What about this? If you say, Lord, I'm presenting myself. I hadn't been baptized yet. I just keep putting it off. What if you come down and say, Lord, I want to get this, I want to get this right. If you're holy and you're just and you're king, I need to obey you. Not put it off. I need to, I need to follow through. Maybe you need to give your life to Jesus. You've never surrendered to him. It's always been about you. You said, today I'm nailing this down. Lord, it's all about you. Nothing else is going to matter. I can chase relationships, status, um, popularity, whatever the case may be. But it's all about you. And I'm believing in your work on the cross and that alone to save me. Jesus, save me today. Maybe that's you today. You come forward too. This is a holy moment, church. Don't let this moment go by. Don't think this is a normal service. Hear me say this. This is not normal right now. This can change everything. What God can do in one moment. He's asking you, do you have a holy thirst for him? Do you have a holy recognition? Do you have a holy disposition? In other words, just saying, Lord, my outlook from here on out. You say, I'm sorry, but I love you, man. I mean, like, Lord, just here I am. I'm exposed before you. I'm going to pray. However the Lord is moving in your life, however the Spirit of God is moving, stand you can weep but church we need to be moving come to the altar I heard one great preacher say this we can't alter the past but we can bring our past to the altar it starts now Lord God thank you what a holy moment this is As we sing, just bringing praise to you and glory to you, it's due to you, it's due to you anyway. You, you create everything, you hold all things together, you're Savior, you die for us. Not only did you just die for us, you died instead of us. You're our substitute, you took our place on the cross. And so Lord, we are forever indebted. I love what David said, he said, now, you know what, in your name, I'm gonna sing, I'm gonna lift my hands. 
Lord, help us to have a holy thirst afresh again, pure, a pure desire. May it start today, King. May you move in a mighty way, Holy Spirit, right now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.